existing in this church, human leaders and human wisdom. Uh, they had divided themselves up into different camps and groups, mainly based around leaders, who they thought should lead and who they wanted to follow. And it was more than likely personality-driven. Um, and Paul uh, had spent the first four chapters uh, of this letter, although they weren't chapters when he wrote the letter, but the, the first four chapters of this letter just scorching those ideas uh, of the Corinthians. Um, he had argued that the power of the cross and the word of the cross is foolishness and that causes the Jews to stumble and the Greeks to balk, and that the um, attempt by the Corinthians to divide themselves up into these multiple camps was not only foolish but um, evidence of their immaturity by allowing the culture, the Roman culture of Corinth, to impact how they teach and preach the gospel. They began to think that it was about whoever had the best presentation, that the power of the gospel did not reside in the truth of the gospel, but rather in how well someone spoke about the gospel. And Paul wants to make sure they understand uh, that is completely foolish, and he just I mean, for no better word, he just whips them, <laughs> the first four uh, chapters for sure, um, after spending uh, 18 months in their midst teaching them, uh, he is very frustrated uh, with where they have taken the church, uh, and that they are now, uh, in his mind, inspired by the Spirit, they are now ignoring important things uh, to argue <clears throat> over useless things. They are babies in their faith. At least they're acting that way. They're not adults. And Paul, if you read those first four chapters, he is righteously angry about their behavior. And you can't help but read these first four chapters and begin to wonder, what his, I mean, is there, is there more than just what we've heard so far fueling his anger and indignation about the church and them arguing about all these things, is there something else that's occurring? And I think we hear that in 1 Corinthians 4, 18 through 21, this angst that he has. In verse 18, he says, some are arrogant as though I will not be coming to you, but I will come to you. <clears throat> that just makes me nervous. Like if I get a letter like that from Paul... Like, you're arrogant thinking, I'm not coming to you, but brother, I'm coming. I'm like, oh, I'm resigning, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> That's what, some are arrogant, as though I was not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will found, find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. An American way of saying that would be, actions speak louder than words. And I'm coming, if the Lord would will that, and we're going to find out who you really are. And then he says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. It's going to be crucial when we walk into chapter 5. You can talk Christianity. Paul's worried about the power exhibited in your lives. Then he says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? You can hear Paul's righteous anger, his frustration with them over having spent 18 months of his life. So I just want to help us out. Just re We're going long today. You knew that from the announcements, though, didn't you? 
I just want you to understand that we sheep, we just mess things up, amen? Like, I've, I've never been surprised that churches are all messed up. Paul spent, Paul, Paul, the apostle Paul spent 18 months in one, and they got messed up. I know that you might think I'm Paul. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm not Paul. So it never surprises me that the churches get messed up, which is why you should preach the Bible all the time. Because that's what we need. That's what we need. And Paul is frustrated with them that he spent so much time. And you have to be thinking, is there more to that? Is there something else that he was equally upset about? Well, we're about to find out. Paul is about to reveal an example of how immature, misguided, and boastful the Corinthian church is. We pick it up in chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. You are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter, most likely a letter that we don't have, by the way. Um, That would be the argument, I think, you would argue here. Um, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since you would have, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Don't believe that's an exhaustive list, by the way. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Wow. Welcome to church. This sermon is not being preached in very many churches today. I can assure you. It's a difficult passage. And I think we need a framework here for the sermon um, and this particular text of scripture. So let me lay out the groundwork a little bit. So we can just, I would say these are all my asterisks, okay? Uh, One, we all sin. Wayne does, and I do. We all sin, right? We all sin. None of us want our weeks, this past week's thoughts, 
words or actions presented on the TV screens right now. And as I said last week in Galatians, I didn't say it, I told you what Paul said in Galatians, inspired by the Spirit, the goal is to not point out someone's sin and make ourselves better. The purpose is to gently restore those to the paths of righteousness. And the way we treat each other is crucial to that. So we all sin, and we discovered how we handle much of that sin in Galatians 6. Spiritual people, mature people, are called to help one another through our failures. Confronting and restoring, and here's the key words, gently and with patience. All the while with a burning passion for the holiness of God. This is not, let's excuse sin because everyone sins. This is, we're not going to excuse sin. We're going to confront sin, but we're going to do so gently and with patience. But here's what we need to understand. We are called to be holy. That's who we're called to be. And so we must push toward that as the Spirit would move us to do. Number two, sexual immorality failures are not the unpardonable sin. I have had many people tell me uh, their thoughts on how that should uh, permanently take you out of every possible role that you could ever have for the rest of your life. And every time I've ever had that conversation with people, although I do believe they mean that, I would always say, here's what I'm curious about. The Apostle Peter denies Christ to his face. Not once, not twice, three times denies that he even knows Jesus. He immediately repents and mourns. And guess who preaches the first sermon in the New Testament church? Peter. And so we should be very careful as people who are all sinners saying what should or should not happen to someone who has sinned who has repented. We should be very careful of what we say they can no longer do within the church. Now, I understand that sinful behavior carries consequences. You're not, you're not getting that past my mind. Just because you repent, per se, of embezzling money from the church doesn't mean as evidence of your forgiveness the church should make you the church treasurer. I'm not saying that. There are clearly some evidences that you must walk through for some period of time. I'm not advocating that in every situation a person is to be restored to the same position within the church or within ministry or within the body. But it is hard for me to view someone who has truly mourned over their sins, who has truly been forgiven and restored to the fellowship, that at some point God may not call them and use them in a way that might surprise even us. Because I can assure you, if you had been a group that saw Peter deny Christ, and you weren't a believer, and then you saw him proclaiming the first sermon, you'd be that different. That's the God that we serve. So forgiving is. When we mourn over our sins, I hope you were here for that several-week study over what it means 
to repent. Number two, public sins versus private sins. Remember how you didn't want that stuff on the screen? Those are called private things that we may not know about. But the church is a gathering of people, and sometimes sin is known publicly. And for sin to be disregarded in the church, that's what we entitled the sermon, the, dis- the danger of disregarded sin, in order for it become a danger for the church to disregard sin, it must first be known. Paul says in verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, meaning he has heard this from other people, other churches and other representatives of the church of what's occurring within Corinth. So it's a public sin that is well documented. And the sin is, in this particular case, that a man has his father's wife. Now, I realize of the ages in this room, I just want you to understand, I'm not going to dive in that very far, but I just want you to understand this woman may have still been married uh, to the father. We don't know. She may have been divorced from the father. Uh, Whatever we know, the son was having a relationship with his father's former wife. It was condemned in Leviticus 18.8 and Deuteronomy 22.30. It violated God's law clearly. But even the pagans of Corinth were like, "Woo, that's bad. (laughs) Even they thought it was bad. They even thought that a line had been crossed. So once sin is publicly known, why is it dangerous to disregard it? Well, I just want to take two parts. I want to say, what is the danger to the sinner to disregard their own sin? And every individual here should pay attention to that. And then, as a church, why is it dangerous for the church to disregard sin? Listen, I know, I know, I know that this is not the kind of stuff preached anymore. And so I don't want you to believe me. I want you to go back to the scriptures. I want you to study it. And I know there are a thousand landmines here, and there are a thousand questions. Here's what I would ask you to not do. Don't default to stuff you've heard all your life. Default to the word of God, and then when you have questions, default to the elders. Not because we are the smartest people on the face of the planet, but we want to make sure you understand the context of what we mean by this. Because this is not taught in churches much anymore. And so if you grew up in the good old Bible Belt, you may never have heard some of the things we're going to talk about today. And I recognize it would be kind of shocking to your conscience and to your spirit. But the danger to the sinner who disregards his own sin in Galatians chapter 5, if you remember, we had what it meant to walk by the flesh and what it meant to walk by the spirit. And one of the things that it means to walk by the flesh is sexual immorality and a whole different list. But in verse 24, it says this, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Listen, one of the reasons why it's dangerous for you to disregard sin that you are well aware of in your own life is according to Galatians, you are somebody who should have, through the power of the cross and of Christ in the gospel, have killed your old passions. And so if you're walking in them and you're disregarding them, there are questions now that are scary questions you must begin to answer. I have a whole list. I'm only going to read three. Only three. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, you've heard it a thousand times in our church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Meaning, if you are in Christ, the way you used to live your life is no longer the way you are called to live your life anymore. You're supposed to be different. Not by your own power, but by the power of the Spirit that resides in you. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Paul wrote this to believers. Test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. So here, if you are a person who claims Christ, you hold to the gospel. And you are very well aware of sin in your life that you are disregarding, that you have no care to address, that you are shoving away going, I don't care about that. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, the Bible says it's a big deal and that you may not be a believer. I got one, mm-hmm, and nothing else. <laughs> Scary, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to like these new life people. <laughs> I want you to weigh this for a moment. All of preaching that we hear most from is this. If you mess up, no big deal. That's why the cross exists. We can just get forgiveness and go about our way. There's no weight to sin anymore. And we have emptied, if there's no weight to sin, then the cross has no meaning. But if we claim Christ and that he has moved into our lives, then we are called to live differently. Now listen, we all sin. This is sin that is disregarded. You know it, you're well aware of it, and you don't care about it. That's what the Bible says. That's a dangerous place for you to be. Now, why is it dangerous to the church to disregard publicly known, unrepentant sin? Well, number one, the witness of the church is damaged. It was reported. Means it made its way, not by email, it made its way through the public world to Paul. The Romans had no issue with gods. They had an issue with anyone saying that they had the only God. And Christians were saying, we serve the only real, true God who resides in us and changes our lives. And then all these people are like, well, you say that, but we don't have relationships with our husbands, wives. And you guys do. Like, we, we don't even claim Christ, and we're not going that way. And that made its way to Paul. And the witness of the church is damaged. Paul says, you're arguing about what leader to follow. You're arguing about who has the better presentation of the gospel when the gospel within Corinth has no power because there is somebody in your midst that is living this way. 
And instead of being mournful and weeping, you are arrogant and boastful. The witness of the church is damaged. Now listen, not all sins bring the same reproach. Being overweight, <laughs> though a sin of gluttony, hey, I worked out last night, give me a break. I'm almost not able to stand at the pulpit this morning. Being overweight, though a sin, if it's gluttony, I don't have a thyroid condition, folks. Wish I did. Wish for that every time I've had blood work, but nope. It's just, I eat too much. The sin of gluttony is clearly a sin. I'm doing, I'm working, well aware, trying to overcome that in my life. It has much less of an effect on the church and the public eye than sexual morality or, let's say, stealing the church offerings. I have no doubt, as you can, so we have to put a little, we have to put our brains into this. I have no doubt there were other public sins in the church in Corinth. There were other ones. But what the pagans were watching is that one. Because they didn't even do that. And so there is, despite your theology and what you were taught, there is a difference in sins. People say, it's all sins the same. Great. Have you ever lied? Yes. Have you ever murdered anyone? No. Uh-oh. The, the consequences, the ramifications of different sins are greater. Doesn't mean we excuse sin, but the sins that can damage the church definitely cannot be disregarded. When the church tolerates unrepentant sin, it ignores the call to holiness and the newness of life brought by Christ, our Passover lamb. And if there is no difference in who we are, then Christ has no power. But we say he does. And the gospel, if we live in a way that does not please Christ, then the gospel can be dismissed as just a fairy tale. Number two, the disregarded sin can cause others within the church to sin. Your boasting in verse 6 is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our pastoral lamb, has been sacrificed. Leaven, yeast, generally, is still a method that we use today. And some, still one of the methods that we use. But a small piece of earlier, older bread or dough would be reserved and it would seed the new batch. Take the older one. Put in the new one, mix it up, and then the fermenting agents, the yeast or the leaven, would work its way into all of the dough. So to confront sin, when the church confronts public unrepentant sin, it is protecting the rest of the church. We are easily influenced people. And when we mess up and we have our unrepentant sin and someone else in the church gets judged for that unrepentant sin, we're like, I don't know why they said that to you. Because we find comfort in other people's failures that are never challenged. Because you know why? Then we are never challenged. And who doesn't want to go to a place that never challenges you? 
I would love to have a personal trainer who when I say I get tired, he goes, ah, I don't blame you, I'm tired too. <laughs> that doesn't help anybody though. And when the church ignores sin that's unrepentant within its own church, then it causes other people to be influenced by that behavior. And so if it's okay to do this for that person, then that person begins to think, well, maybe it's okay if I do this. And before you know it, you have yeast, sin, that's moved through the whole church. So what do we do about that? What does a church do about that? Well, church discipline, and we have spent time on this before, uh, but there are more people here today than there were then. Uh, church discipline, Paul clearly teaches that here in the Scripture. Let me just read it. For though absent in body, verse 3, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. I don't know about you. Those, when I was a kid reading the Bible, that whole being turned over to Satan thing, was that a little scary? I mean, I always learned in VBS that Satan was bad news. And now we have somebody in the church that's going to be turned over to him for the destruction of his flesh. That just sounded like a bad thing to me. And that's because it is. Number one, we see that the church is to assemble. There is a gathering of the body, and they are to turn the sinner over. And we clearly see this taught in the Gospels as well. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 20, I'll read it to you. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Tax collector that means to be ousted. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on anything about anything they ask, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. By the way, that's a misquoted verse all the time. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus is always around, by the way. Y'all know that, right? Like, Jesus is not waiting for two or three. Like, when I, if I got here first, Jesus is not like, man, I wanted to go in there, but it's only Jason. Here, here comes Lucas. I mean, that's, this particular is referencing church discipline. Listen to the power of that. When you gather because of someone's unrepentant witness damaging to the church sin that they refuse to repent over, I'm there with you. It's powerful stuff. Now, you would ask, Jason, and, I, and this is so true, we are experiencing the lack of the biblical teaching that comes from pulpits today because... The question has to be, is this a very effective method today? And in many ways, it's not a very effective method anymore. And here's why. If you come here and you live a, a lifestyle that is totally anti-Christian, um, you claim Christ, you live nothing like Christ, you're confronted, you're confronted, you say, I don't care, leave me alone, I'll do whatever I want to, and you're eventually ousted, you know what you can do? Join another church! You couldn't in Corinth. There was one church. And so when you were ousted from the church, you were ousted out of the fellowship of the believers. 
what should happen. I was on staff at a church several years ago where a guy had left his wife for, I think, his secretary or something, and they were going to a church here in Longview that told them, you can't attend here anymore if you're going to live, you know. So they showed up at our church. Where our, the pastor I was from with said, you ain't going to believe what I just found out. <laughs> He's like, we're going to tell him he can't go here either. <laughs> because they, he just thought he'd just go to another church. And, and when he came to our church, he brought his girlfriend with him. What? It's crazy. But that's what can happen. They can just go join another church, which is why we have covenant membership. We believe membership means something. We believe it actually means something. Other churches see it as another tither. Secondly, because the gospel has been, was that too strong? Second, the, the gospel has been so watered down and sin is no longer seen as a serious thing that any attempt to call out sin and separate from those who refuse to repent is seen as hypocritical or judgmental or not loving. But we just addressed this idea last week. The reason that you self-examine your own life is to remove the logs in your own eye. Why? So you can help your brother remove the speck in theirs. There is no passage in the scripture that compels the church to disregard unrepentant public sin. None. The Bible has no framework for ignoring sin in the lives of those who claim to be new in Christ. And yet, those people refuse to repent. The Bible has, has no framework to continue that conversation. Whether or not church discipline is as effective today because of the failures of church to act upon it is not a sufficient enough reason to ignore the scriptures calling us to conduct it. As I've said, this is not taught in most church growth conferences. Never been to a church growth conference where the first lesson was church discipline. In fact, it's kind of frowned upon because you risk losing people, not from the discipline of it, but from the preaching of it. You do understand that you can get into a country club today or a health club or anything, and they all have requirements. And somehow the church has been reduced to just join and do whatever you want to. You risk losing tithers over this. That's why churches don't like to do it. And you risk not being able to build that next worship center. We as a church should have no interest in building a building full of church people. But we should have a great interest in building a church full of saints who take sin Seriously. Now, I'm listen, not perfect people, not people who will never sin, but people who will fail and people who will sin, yet when they do, they mourn over it and they repent and they get up and they press towards Christ. And that's because holiness is a serious thing for the church and for them. We should be serious here. You and I, you and I will, will never be sin-free. We'll never be perfect this side of heavens. But as believers, we should want to be so. And we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in us, both the will and the work, 
for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. There's something about this that moves us toward holiness. Now listen, if someone claims the name of Jesus and they move off into public sin and refuse to repent, refuse to acknowledge her sin, refuse to even deal with it in any way, shape, form, or fashion, if they say things like, you leave me alone, well, that's a different ball game altogether. And you as an individual should be worried if that is you. And our church should never move to a place where we disregard that. As one commentator say, said, Paul speaks not about people who lapse into these sins, but someone whose identity is actually marked by one or more of these behaviors. So they can actually be labeled a greedy person or a drunkard or someone who is sexually immoral. That is, they engage in habitual, systematic, unrepentful, sinful behavior. The Christian who gets drunk and repents or who commits an act of dishonesty and repents, those people are not in view here. This is not about, I messed up, and I failed, and I repented. That's not what we're talking about. Rather, this is a person who has two competing identities. They may be known as a brother or sister in Christ, but their behavior identifies them as an unbeliever. That's who we're talking about. So it's not there's not grace here in the church. It's not, it's not that we don't understand that we struggle and that we fail and some of us are more mature in Christ. This has to do with do you care about the sin in your life or do you just disregard it and say it's not a big deal? If that's your attitude, you're in danger. And here's how dangerous it is. And here's how strong this commandment is. Unrepentant, Church-disciplined sinners should be avoided. I didn't say that. Scripture did. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since you would need to then go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, drunker, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So here's the deal. It's a strong commandment. But if, if you say, this is the life I'm living, and I don't care what you say, then the church withdraws fellowship. You say, well, that's a strong command. It's not the only time we see it. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul told Timothy, a young pastor, but understand this, that in the last days will be some times of difficulty. <laughs> you think? For Peter will be lovers of for, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That's in the list, students. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen now, church. Listen, having the appearance of godliness. They, they have the bumper sticker. I mean, they, they got a cross. They, they, they stand up for prayer and the, and the Pledge of Allegiance. They stand up for America. I mean, all those things. 
But listen to what Paul is most concerned about with his young pastor. They live this way. They claim this, but they live this way, and in doing so, they deny the power of which Paul in Corinthians said, I'm coming. I'm going to find out, not about your words, but about power. And then in Paul tells Timothy, in the end of verse 5, avoid such people. Losing the fellowship with other believers is crucial to the discipline process. Can you meet with them? Yes. If it is to discuss their sin or to help them understand their sin or to walk through what's going on with their heart, but it is not acceptable to continue a relationship with them as if nothing has happened. So we're, several years ago, many years ago, my wife and I had a set of friends. And one of these friends... Um, ended up having a long-term affair with somebody. And that was revealed. Friends, people we knew, people we, we knew well. My wife pressed in on the wife who was one having the affair. She refused to repent, gave all the reasons. This went on and on and on. And my wife said, I, I, I can't, this is wrong, this is sinful, you can't. Gotta, you got to come back. you got to come back. It's not about, it is about your marriage, but more importantly, it's about your soul. She told my wife sitting in our driveway, I just want to be friends. I don't want to talk about Christ. I don't want to talk about any of that stuff. I just want to go out. Can we just go out and have dinner and, and, and not talk about all that other stuff? And my wife, who's one of the most gentle souls you'll ever meet in your life, she said, no, we can't, because that's not friendship. You're my sister in Christ. And that relationship ended that day, and it's never, been re it's never come back. These are painful things. Now, understand the idea of what Paul meant by this statement in verse 9 of chapter 5. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. This command here, and listen, this is crucial. This is balance for you. This command here is not saying to quit associating with all people because they don't conform to the teachings of Christ. You all have co-workers and family members and acquaintances, maybe even friends in some loose term in the very general sense of the words you may have, who do not claim Christ or they're Christians because they're Americans. <laughs> but they don't, have, they don't have any passion for the gospel. They really don't care about any of that stuff. They're not churchgoers. They don't tend. They're not living that. They're not claiming that. You are clearly to be a witness to them. To build a relationship for the purposes of ministry and evangelism, but they still need to occur. This, once again, is the guy you go to church with, who claims Christ, who attends the Bible studies, who reads a lesson in class and reads the word from the pulpit, who goes to the conferences with you. He pretends to live a certain way in our gathering, but everyone knows that's not who he really is outside of the church. And then we follow Matthew 18. Maybe you bring in the elders, and when he is confronted about it, he refuses to stop. 
He wants you to disregard his sin. He refuses to listen to your biblical reasoning, refuses to repent, tells you, leave me alone. You do you, I'll do me. Don't judge me. It's not your place to judge me. You can't do anything. Leave me alone. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian. We're indifferent, but we believe different things. You have to leave me alone. That is what this passage is speaking to. When he demands that you disregard your sin, that is one thing we cannot do. Well, the gospel means nothing. The cross means nothing. And we can't as a church, if we truly want to survive as a biblical church, then the cross must mean something. And fellowship of the believers must mean something. If not, then let's just be done with it. Let's just close up, send the money to the 1040 window. And let's just go find another church that you can do whatever you want to, however you want to. That's not the calling of Scripture. Paul is speaking to the unrepentant. This believer who claims Christ in your church who refuses to walk away from his sinful lifestyle. One final note. I know we're long. We're almost done. Church discipline can also root out the wolves. I found this very interesting in my own study. Romans 16, 17 through 19, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions, 1 Corinthians, and obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Acts 20, 28-30. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which, this is Paul, pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, I know, Paul, I know, I know that after my departure, 1 Corinthians that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. I love what I heard one pastor say. Elders are in charge of restoring the sheep, but we are to shoot the wolves. Maybe not figuratively. We got a lot of concealed handgun carriers. Everybody calm down. <laughs> But we are called to remove them from our church. So let me just help you out. This is not even my notes. <laughs> if you're here because you want to cause divisions, leave. Because we will find you out and we will remove you. If you're here to gossip, and slander, leave. Because brother, sister, we will root you out. We will find you. Because we will not let you live that way in our church. I can be confronted. First Timothy chapter 5 says I can be confronted and I am to rebu be rebuked publicly as an elder. You know why? It says so that all may fear. Sin is a serious, serious thing. 
We can't tolerate it. We can't allow ourselves to ignore it and disregard it. It will eat away at us and it will destroy a church. Tired of people telling me the church can't be destroyed. Are you serious? You think that because it's still in business, it hasn't been destroyed? Confronting unrepentant sin can drive the wolves from their hiding place. Look, the gospel matters. The gospel matters. We claim that the good news of Jesus has power in it to restore the lost to their father. And if we're not serious about holiness, then we bring shame upon our own gospel. So we do extend grace. We extend grace in our church. We extend it because I want it extended to me. Amen? We extend grace. Yes, yes. We do that in one way, by confronting public sin that damages the church. And we do that for one purpose alone. Not so that you can be right. Not so we can show them how it is. No, 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 no. We do it so that the sinner repents. They repent. And they're restored gently. Just don't get this part of the gospel wrong. Sovereign Life Fellowship, don't get this wrong. Or you'll just be another church full of people. That's not what the church is supposed to be. You say, what is this gospel you keep talking about? (laughs) Amen, I feel it too, brother. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. Here's the gospel. That you were born into sin, which is why we, even as believers, we have this old sin nature. We sin naturally. Don't need anyone to teach us. And listen, listen about your sin. I want you to hear it. I say it every week. I want you to hear it. Your sin separated you from a holy, holy, holy God. That's what he thinks about sin. But even in your sin, even while you were rebelling against him, he loved you. And he loved you so much that he sent Christ because sin has to be paid for. And he sent Christ, his only son, to live a life that you could never live And he took the punishment that you richly deserved. He bore it on himself, on the cross. And for those that repent and believe, they can be restored through Christ to the Father. And they are adopted children of the King, transferred from the dark domain to the kingdom of light. And we live differently because of it. That's how you know you're a believer. It's not from a prayer you said. I mean, really? It's not from that. The way you know that you know Christ is you've repented. You've said, I don't want this life anymore. I want to leave what I'm doing. I want to pursue Christ. And you believe. You put your faith in Christ. And that changes you. Paul didn't say, examine the prayer that you prayed and see whether or not you're in the faith. He said, examine yourself. Look at your life, believer. If you're here today and you are walking in disregarded sin, examine yourself. Examine yourself. The gospel is good news. It's good news for us. Because when we repent, Christ transforms our hearts. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. And now as believers, when we sin, we have this overwhelming conviction to walk away from it to mourn it and to leave it behind 
And brothers and sisters, I still think that's going to be one of the greatest things about heaven. I will not have that burden anymore. And that's going to be so good. Keith's going to come play. I would say that this is a great time to confess. If you're here today, and I don't care if the sin is small in your mind or whatever, if you are well aware and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, the Holy Spirit is pointing out in your own life if there is sin there. Confess that sin. If you need help, find a brother or sister who can help you. Find an elder. Get some accountability. But leave that sin. Because Jesus is better. He's better. If you don't know Christ today, and you said, just, just un- I need to understand one more time. How do, how do I become a believer? Just repent and believe. Repent, believe. Christ will change you forever. Let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that this was, oh, Lord, such a difficult passage. We live in a culture, Lord, that does not abide by this anymore. God, we live in churches that no longer teach this. And, Lord, I know even my own heart is trying to prepare to teach it how difficult and careful it needs to be preached that we do not dismiss grace and Lord that we do not dismiss holiness Lord I pray God you would use your spirit to speak to hearts today and I pray that you would make this church not special God that you would just make us obedient to your word and that we would live lives that honor you Lord Drive sin from our hearts. Drive it far away from us, Lord, I pray. Help us to throw off all the sin and the weight that so easily entangle us, God. We are so weak. We're not strong, Lord. We need help. So I pray that you would convict hearts today, that we would confess our sin and we would worship. We would worship you, the Redeemer who has rescued us from this body of death. We love you, and it's your name we pray.